Welcome to you guys. So happy that you're here. Today, we are going to be continuing our sermon series uh, called The First 50. And so what we decided to do was study the first 50 days of the New Covenant Church post-resurrection of Jesus. All right. So 50 days after Easter is a day that we call Pentecost, but it's not a Christian holiday. It's actually a Jewish feast. But it is a Christian holiday in that we celebrate the fact that on that feast day, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, was poured out to the church and the 120 that were in the upper room received it as fire came upon each of them and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit provided utterance. And that's what the Bible teaches us. And so on worship night in July, is that right? June. Man, I'm all over the place this morning. Sorry, I think I'm still jet lagged some. June, we're, we're actually going to go after corporately altogether baptisms in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do water baptisms and spirit baptisms. And so I just want to invite you, please be praying into that as you guys pray over our community, because we just believe that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift, guys. It's not something we have to work for. It's just something we receive freely from God, you know. Uh, but it just, it empowers us. It empowers us. We have a Spirit-filled life that is extremely powerful before heaven. And so I think everybody, you know, should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so if you're hungry for it, come out to that worship night, and we're going to go after it. So when we look at the first 50 days, it really begs the question, what did Jesus do when he got up out of the grave? You ever thought about that before? So much of what we study has to do with what Jesus did pre-crucifixion. But we really need to consider what Jesus did, how Jesus lived, and what Jesus taught post-resurrection. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible teaches us that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many infallible proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, for me, when I read this verse of scripture, I get real curious because I'm like, he spoke about the kingdom of God. I want to know what those sermons were. I can't wait to get to heaven and listen to those podcasts because if Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God right before he ascends to the father, you have to believe that these were some important messages for the disciples to receive before he ascended into heaven. Right. And we never see Jesus like sit down or set up a podium. We never see Jesus playing a uh, PowerPoint you know, presentation, like, hey, disciples, gather around. I'm going to give you the seven points to living in the kingdom of God. That'd be awesome. I wish that was in there, but it's not. But what we do see just through certain stories is Jesus revealing kingdom truths. He, he's revealing key ingredients to a kingdom lifestyle. And so two weeks ago, we talked about one of those key ingredients to a kingdom lifestyle, which is fishing. Right. If you look at John chapter 21, which is where we're going today, if you want to go ahead and open it up. But the very first portion of John chapter 21, we read and we studied the breakfast by the sea story. And, you know, Jesus and his disciples are having a conversation around fish. 
And uh, Jesus is actually revealing to us a key ingredient to the kingdom lifestyle, which is fishing for men. Everybody say evangelism. evangelism. How many of you guys know that we're all called to evangelize? Man, I hope the next two services are just as excited about that part. So today we're going to continue that story and continue looking at that same conversation uh, in John chapter 21. So turn in your Bible, John 21. If you don't have it, you can read it off the screen. We're just reading 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I want you to notice something here. All of the disciples are there, right? Because he's hanging out. Well, a majority of them are, are there. They're hanging out. They're having breakfast. But now Jesus is turning his attention away from the group. And he's turning his attention towards one of his disciples who is named Peter, whom he named Peter. But look at the way that Jesus addresses him. Jesus said to Simon Peter, doesn't even call him Peter. He calls him by his full legal name, which is how you know you're in trouble with your parents. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever your parents wanted to get on to you, my mom was like, Lyle, Benjamin, Phillips, come here right now. You know, and I knew whenever I got all three of my names, there was a sense of severity as well as urgency. And so I have to believe that Jesus is calling out Peter here in a very formal way to try to drive home a point. Peter, I've called you out. I've selected you amongst the group because you and I are about to have a very serious conversation. So are we all together on that, right? So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, uh, he said to him, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So today the title of the message is catch fish, feed sheep. All right. John 21, catch fish, feed sheep. So we're going to continue the same storyline here that we left off on two weeks ago from Jesus encouraging his disciples to catch fish, now turning his attention to Simon Peter and encouraging him to tend the flock. So this is so good that we can look at the whole of John chapter 21 and recognize two key ingredients in the kingdom lifestyle. Remember in Acts chapter 1, we read the verse of scripture that Jesus was walking and talking with his disciples for around a 40 day, well, for a 40 day period. And he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Well, these are two of the primary ingredients when we're discussing the kingdom of God. They are fishing and they are shepherding. They are evangelism and discipleship. So when we talk about evangelism, we talk about fishing for men, right? How many of you guys fish? One, two, three people. Okay, that's 
millennials. We don't do things like this very often, you know. Um, as a kid, you know, I did a little fishing with my papa, you know. And, and fishing is just one aspect of the job. Once you catch the fish, you then have to clean the fish, right? And so you have the whole aspect of I'm fishing for men, I'm evangelizing. But what happens when you catch the fish in your net? You then have to clean the fish. You then have to shepherd the flock. You then have to steward and care for what you now have in your boat, a.k.a. your community, your family. And so these two key ingredients are core to the kingdom, which is evangelism and discipleship. And when it comes to evangelism, people get excited about that because they can do it in the short term. But it's beautiful that Jesus partners it with pastoring and discipleship because that is something that requires the long term. Shepherding doesn't discontinue after a day. If you sign up to shepherd, you sign up to take care of that sheep for the life of that sheep. And I think that's one of the reasons why people often avoid discipleship uh, because of the size of the commitment, right? But let's look at the context of the story just for a moment. Now, obviously, uh, we've pointed out that it's Jesus talking to Peter. Now, he's definitely talking to Peter within earshot of the disciples. But the way I read the story, I like to imagine that they're taking a walk on the beach, you know? I like prayer walks. I'm assuming Jesus likes prayer walks and that, you know, maybe the disciples are following along he and Peter. This is likely to be the last personal conversation that Jesus and Peter have all by themselves before Jesus ascends. So I have to believe that this is a very important conversation. Jesus truly needs to have this conversation with Peter because Jesus needs to deal with Peter on a personal level. Now, we know that that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And to some extent, he has been restored. But I think that Jesus is pulling him away to really seal the deal and to reinstate him as a disciple, as a leader, as somebody who is truly anointed to fish for men and to shepherd the flock that Jesus has given him. And unlike the rest of the the disciples, we know that whenever Jesus was, uh, you know, he's, he's kidnapped, he's arrested, essentially, they all flee, they all go away. But unlike the rest of the disciples, Peter had a very public falling away, didn't he? You know, the other disciples kind of had a private following away. They fled in the garden. But here, you know, Peter has this public following away. And Peter had done a great job of being arrogant and bragging all the time about the fact that he would never leave Jesus. But then here we see Peter on the night that Jesus is betrayed, publicly and personally denying Jesus three times to his face, disowning him, essentially slapping his friend in the face in his worst moment of life, and then falls away from the Lord. And since Peter's mistake was so public, I believe that what Jesus is doing in this conversation is providing a homecoming for Peter that is also public. He wants the disciples to see. He wants the disciples to hear. He's about to reinstate him. And it's important to notice that because this is how the Lord deals with us. Notice Jesus' demeanor. Notice Jesus' willingness to call Peter to himself. He doesn't say, Peter, I'm casting you out because of your rebellion or because of your sin or because of your mistakes, but I'm welcoming you back into the family and here's what I'm offering you. 
full restoration. I'm not going to withhold a little bit. I'm not going to say, you know, you, you're not going to get back to that place you used to be because, you know, you just, you really, you really ticked me off this time, Peter. <laughs> I mean, thank God, you know, that whenever I mess up, the Lord doesn't say, you really made me mad this time. That's it for you. Cut off. Somebody in here needs to hear that this morning. Because you think that the last time that you failed was the last time that Jesus was going to offer to you. But look and, and use Peter as an example for your own life. This man didn't just fall away publicly, but he also falled away, uh, fell away uh, personally. It wasn't like it was somebody that Jesus didn't know that sinned against him. I mean, if somebody you don't know sins against you, it might hurt for a moment, but that wound doesn't cut that deep, right? Like a troll on Facebook, somebody says something bad about you, you might get disgruntled for a few hours, but you know what? You're like, I'm good. Now, how does it feel, though, when a friend, a close friend, somebody you've been walking with every single day, somebody you've sacrificed for, somebody you've shared resource with, somebody you've sewn into, you've sat at the dinner table with many times over, somebody that you just finished washing their feet, somebody that you love and that you're preparing to die on the behalf of looks you in the eye and says, I don't even know that person. And it's in the moment of your greatest need. And they say, I don't, you don't even know that guy. You know, not only was Peter's falling away public, Peter's falling away was personal, man. Like it was a personal wound to his friend Jesus. And yet look at Jesus. It's like you personally wounded me. You hurt me. You stabbed me in the back in my worst moment. And here he is with his arms held open wide saying, Peter, I'm bringing you back into the family, brother. Peter, I'm bringing you back into your gifting. I'm bringing you back into your calling. I'm bringing you back into your ministry. I'm welcoming you home. And you really have to consider the way that Jesus deals with Peter. And when Jesus is talking to Peter, he doesn't talk about any of his external behaviors. He doesn't talk about Peter's denial. He doesn't talk about him cutting off that ear of that guy when they came to arrest Jesus, which is completely inappropriate. You know, he doesn't talk about any of those things. He's got more important stuff to talk about. He goes straight to the core. He goes straight to the heart. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with Peter's behavior. He goes straight to the core. He said, Peter, do you love me? He goes straight to the baseline, the base level. He said, hey, Peter, do you love me? It's an amazing question that, that Jesus asked Peter. And to be honest, how many of you guys know we don't just read the Bible? The, the Bible reads us. It's an amazing question that Jesus is asking you. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment the eyes of the Lord looking at you and saying directly to your soul, do you love me? I know you've been walking with me for a few years, but do you love me? I know you know how to say all of the right things, but do you love me? I know you've developed a relationship with the religious community, but do you love me? I know that you've even defended me publicly, but do you love me? He has all, he said all the right things, but do you love him? This is an important question. Jesus understood the importance of this question, which is why it was one of his final conversations with Peter. Do you love me? Wouldn't you be grieved if, you know, the person that you really did love, uh, but you made a terrible mistake was asking you a question like this? 
It's a tough one. It's a hard one, which is why Peter was grieved. I'd like to think that all the more, you know, Jesus says to Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? Now, what does that mean? That's, that's a really interesting question. Do you love me more than these? Because we preach and we teach that comparison is bad. And we talk about how terrible comparison is and how, what it'll do to your soul. And yet, Peter is being invited to compare. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? More than what? Was it his hobbies? Peter was a fisherman. We know he enjoyed fishing and they had just caught 153 large fish. Was Peter motioning his hand towards the net of, of the fish and say, do you love me more than your hobbies? Yes, Lord, I love you more than my hobbies. I, I don't know that it was that, you know. How about, do you love me more than your career? Because it wasn't just his hobby. This was also his day job, right? Do you love me more than your career? Yes, Lord, you know, I love you more than my, my career. Do you love me? Do you love me more than you love your friends, Peter? Do you love me more than your relationships? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All these questions are valid, but I don't think it was the question that Jesus was asking. The question that Jesus was asking was, do you love me more than these friends of yours love me? Jesus is literally inviting Peter to compare his love for Jesus with his friend's love for Jesus. Now, this is something that we are told never to do. You don't compete. You don't compare. But see, how many of you guys know that Jesus can level us with one question, which would take us an entire conference to do? We do Bible studies and courses, and with one question, Jesus just levels Peter. Because he knows everything that Peter has had to say about his love for Jesus by comparison to the other disciples in the past. Look at John 13, 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Look at Matthew 26, 33. Peter, insert bragging, answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So you see, Peter had made this case before Jesus and the other disciples that he loved Jesus the most. I love you more than the rest of these guys. And so Jesus, after Peter's betrayal, is now looking at him in the eye and said, Peter, still love me more than the rest of these guys? Hey, Peter, you still love me? You still love me the most? Peter, are, are you still the best disciple? See, Jesus is not poke, pointing out Peter's failures to poke fun. Jesus is pointing to a mindset that's not kingdom. No, he, he, he's coming to talk to us about the kingdom. And if Peter's going to receive what Jesus has for him to feed sheep, he's going to have to recognize that this type of thinking is holding him back. The mindset here that Jesus is calling out is called spiritual pride. Wow. It's ego. It's arrogance. Oh, so you think you love God the most, huh? I feel like this part's hitting home for whatever reason. <laughs> oh, so you're the best. So you're the most anointed. All right. 
Cool. Good for you. <laughs> Jesus levels Peter with these questions. And to do what God had called Peter to do, he knew Peter had to be humble and Peter had to be broken. Which brings me to the first point that I want to encourage you to do today, which is ask God to break you. If you're going to feed sheep, that's the first thing we need to do is you need to ask God to break you. If you're going to do what God has called you to do in the way that God's called you to do it, you've got to be broken. You've got to be humble. You've got to go low. You've got to be completely dependent upon Jesus. Because in the kingdom, it's always brokenness unto breakthrough. Brokenness unto breakthrough. As Christians, brokenness is our baseline. I want you to think about the snotty mess that you were when Jesus found you and you surrendered to him. Dependency looks like something. Surrender looks like something. And it's hard to have an ego when you're weeping. It's hard to have an ego when you're crying your makeup off. And look at how Peter responds in verse 17. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Notice here what's happening is Peter has stopped boasting in his own strength and he is now making an appeal on the knowledge of God. He says, Lord, you know. See, he doesn't even put his confidence in his own strength anymore. He doesn't say, I love you. That, that's right. He, he doesn't even put any confidence in himself. He says, no, all of my confidence is in the knowledge of you. All of my confidence is in your knowledge of me. I don't even put, I don't even think about my own strength anymore. Lord, you know. Lord, it's, it's you. No longer is he dependent upon himself, but he is surrendering, opening his arms up in the same way that Jesus is to receive him back. He's opening his heart up to receive Jesus in a new way. And it's in brokenness that we have a posture of receptivity. It's in humility that we're open-handed and open-hearted. And he appeals to what God has, his gaze upon God, and his hands are open. And I want you guys to remember something from this first point. In the place of brokenness is where assignments are passed out. All right, it's in brokenness. That's where assignments are passed out, okay? Um, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're called, and we are called, to serve a certain people group, all right, what's going to allow for inertia in serving that people group is our brokenness on behalf of that people group. But when people talk about like the nations, right, we get so romantic about the nations and, and God is not as romantic about the soil as we are. All right. We talk about the nations and I'm gonna get my passport stamped again. Well, that's awesome. That's great. But the reason why those nations are special is because of the people that live there. <laughs> Sometimes it helps us to remember that. The reason why Jesus is so passionate about the nations is because of the people who live there. And if we're going to have breakthrough with those people, we got to be broken for those people. Point two, in the place of brokenness, that's where assignments are passed out. Point two is receive whatever God gives you. You know, if you want to be called... And, and, and walk in what God has for you, you can't afford to be picky. You know, a kingdom life is a life in love, but it's also a life on assignment. The kingdom life doesn't end with confession, but continues with a commission. So it's not like Jesus is like, you repented, 
That's good enough. But when you repent, Jesus it's sort of like, okay, I receive your repentance and you, you have grace, but here's also an assignment. Here's also a calling. Here's also a commissioning. Here's the calling. Here's the commissioning. Catch fish, feed sheep. Catch fish, feed sheep. Evangelize and disciple. And Jesus chose Peter for this assignment in the same way that Jesus chose you for your assignment. You are chosen to feed sheep, to catch fish. And, you know, I know some people would object to this. What are you talking about? I'm a king. I'm more stately than that. I've got other things to take care of. Yep, so was David. Think about whenever Samuel said, you know, we're going to identify the king of Israel. He picks him out, pours an entire horn of oil over his head. I mean, he's sopping wet, as they would say in Kentucky. You know, he's just got a puddle of oil around him. He has now publicly been announced as the new king of Israel. But where does he go next? He goes back to the stable to feed sheep. Some of you guys in here have been disgruntled by the fact that you've not seen promises inherited that God has released over your life. He told you that you were called to greatness, but here you are tending sheep. He told you that you were called to be a king, but here you are cleaning up poop. You got to understand that's also the story of David because he was broken enough to accept the assignment in season that the Lord had for him. He knew his identity. He knew what he was eventually called to, but he received whatever it was that God had for him and didn't complain. Now, we know that from John 14 and 15, Jesus teaches us that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it doesn't matter what Jesus asks you to do. Because you're in love, you count it a joy to obey. Now, when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, what Jesus is not saying is, if you love me, you'll let me control you. What Jesus is saying is, if you love me, it'll show up in your actions because you know what's important to my heart. Because you're close enough to me to know how I feel about something, and so you respond in a similar way that brings me glory. And what is on Jesus' heart? People. What is on the heart of heaven? People. What did Jesus go to the cross for? People. For sheep, for feeding sheep. And it's true, if we love the person of Jesus, we'll feed the people of Jesus. We all have received a gift from Jesus to feed his sheep and to care for his flock, which is why I'm going to give you guys point three and an encouragement to come to team night tomorrow. And this is not an intentional plug for team night. This is not even why I wrote the sermon. But I just realized they go together quite well. So come to team night. Number three, get involved in serving God's people. All right. So I'm going to move through this last part pretty quickly because I don't want to go too far over time. But I think this is really important. So as I mentioned, whenever Jesus and Peter are having this conversation, you know, he's obviously forgiving Peter. But what else is he giving Peter? He's giving him an assignment. He's saying, hey, feed my sheep. You're now commissioned to tend my lambs, right? And so there is a clear assignment that comes upon Peter's life. And we have that same clear assignment upon our lives to feed sheep and tend lambs. And so who are Jesus's sheep and who are Jesus's lambs? It's the church. 
It's people who belong to Jesus. It is the big C capital global church. It is Christians all over the world in every nation. It is disciples of Jesus Christ. If we are a disciple, then we are called to tend the lives and the hearts and the souls and the well-being of other disciples. Right? If we're a Christian, we're called to feed sheep. We're called to tend the flock. And, uh, you know, that's why I love the local church, because you get a weekly invitation to obey God. <laughs> what a great, what a great setup that Jesus established here is that we have a weekly opportunity to feed sheep and tend lambs. You know, I used to ask people, are you going to be there for the church? You know, I, I did. I've shifted my mindset now. It's not, hey, can you be there for the church? It's like, dude, the church is here for you to grow. Like, this is your privilege, actually. Honestly, I've shifted my mindset in this. I, I used to be in a point where I was like, man, you got to serve. We need you. I'm like, no, you need the church, dude, because this is an incubator that you have the opportunity to grow so much in. Because when you step out to tend the flock of God, when you step out to feed sheep, when you step out to care for other people, what happens is, is you grow in God's nature and you receive God's heart and you get an understanding of what Jesus was talking to Peter about when he said, hey, in the midst of your brokenness, I'm commissioning you for ministry. And I think this is a great opportunity. So how do you tend the flock? Number one, you feed sheep when they're young, right? When they're young in the faith or when they're actually young in their years. This is a way we can, I mean, I think one of the best ways to tend the flock, this is not a, this is not a uh, hey, I'm gonna pass out a clipboard after this and you guys sign up to serve message. This is just a very real message. This is, this is not me like, hey, we're church planters. We gotta get people to do jobs around here. This ain't that, but you should. Honestly, because God's called you to it. It's a great invitation that we receive uh, to be a part. So we tend sheep by feeding them when they're young, by protecting them when they're weak, and by disciplining them when they're wayward. That's all. There's three components of caring for sheep, and all of these are important when it comes to caring for sheep. Uh, one other thing is that notice that every single time Jesus commissions Peter, he says, hey, tend my sheep, right? Hey, feed my lambs. Notice he doesn't say, be a shepherd, have a title. He never, get, he never gives a noun every single time it's a verb. Every single time it's actionable. Every single time it's about a proactive movement taking place through Peter's physical body. It's never about, hey, here's a position and a seat for you to sit in. And then, you know, you're this shepherd guy. But every single time it's an action, it's feed, it's tend, it's care for. It, it, it's not have a position or a title. And notice he doesn't say, hey, these are your sheep. He said, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, here's your sheep. Nope, your disciples don't belong to you. Listen, none of you, Alice and our lead pastor, none of you belong to me. None of you belong to us. We have the responsibility of caring for you and helping to steward your, your participation as part of this community, but we don't own you. Some of you guys should get real excited about that because you've had a different experience before. But in the same term, you don't own your shepherd. I don't own you. You don't own me. 
And that's a good thing. Because we all belong to the Lord. We all belong to the great shepherd. Right? And so our responsibility is to see one another the way God sees us and care for each other. Feed each other. Tend each other. Look after each other. Disciple each other. I don't know about that, man. I think, I think I'm good. I know, because sheep bite. I did a little research on sheep this week. Real sheep. This is real biological research that somebody blogged about. So I'm going to tell you what they said. Sheep bite. They headbutt. They're extremely independent. They get jealous of each other and they carry around emotional baggage. That's true. That's true. You know what else that I didn't write down about sheep but I also learned is they know when you're up to something. They know, they're like, mm, something ain't right. He's like, you got the clippers? And they're like, Mm-mm. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that the way we work with each other? But you know, Peter, man, Peter was not the type to serve. Peter was the type to compete. And that's what he'd been doing up until this moment. But see, Peter's made new in this moment. He becomes a new type of minister. In the past, Peter probably didn't want to hear anything about tending sheep. Now, he probably would have been happy to hear about preaching the next conference or, you know, being the revivalist of the day or being a general or being the big man on campus. But now, see, he's too broken to complain. That's why brokenness is so important. Because when you're broken, you'll do anything. When you're humbled, you'll say, yep, that sheep over there, the one that nobody else likes, I'll go get them and feed them. I'll go love on them. I'll go care for them when they're vulnerable. I'll go look after them. I am way too grateful to complain. And that's why we circle back to point one. If you're going to feed sheep, you got to be broken. All right, let's stand up. As we're closing, I just want to pray for you, but listen to this final little element of this story, please. So this conversation is obviously tough for Peter. Jesus asked, do you love me three times? But Peter had done something else three times. And he had denied Jesus three times. So what Jesus is doing, knowing, because he prophesied it, that Peter would deny Jesus three times as he is reinstating him three times. Every single time you turned your back on me, I received you back. Every single time you denied me, I received you back. You said it three times. Well, I'm saying it three times. See, it doesn't matter how many times that you may have turned your back on Jesus or the calling of Jesus in your life. Jesus is there to reinstate you and not only restore your identity, but restore your anointing as well. Full restoration doesn't just look like your identity. It also looks like your ministry. It also looks like your assignment. It also looks like your calling. It also looks like your anointing. And so that's what we're welcoming you into today. Hey, if you're in here today, I just want to ask just for a moment, close your eyes if you don't mind. If you're in here today and you're like, dude, I need to come home to the Lord right now, whether that's to give 
Jesus your life for the first time or you just need to rededicate your life today. We love making space for this in the service because it's important. It's a public confession that you're stepping out and you're walking with the Lord from here on out. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick because I want to pray for you and uh, we're going to welcome you into the family altogether. Awesome. Amazing. I don't see any hands lifted. So we're just going to pray and ask the Lord. God, help us with your heart to evangelize and disciple. Help us with your heart to catch fish and to feed sheep. Lord, we love what you've called us into. And God, honestly, we're too grateful to complain. We're too broken to have much of an opinion. We're sons and we know that we can talk to you about how we feel directly. But Lord, we are laid out at your feet. We're laid out again, God. We're broken again, God. We're open again, Lord. We're vulnerable again, Lord. And we say, God, you know. We're appealing to your knowledge today and we're saying, God, you know how much love I have for you in my heart. God, you know where I'm at in my walk with you. You know where I'm lacking and where I'm not being disciplined. God, would you just bring a mighty wave of grace through this sanctuary right now? Lord, I pray that you would restore each and every one of us to our first love. I pray that you'd restore each and every one of us to brokenness before your feet. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of where we came from, of where we were when you found us, and where you were when, we, when you found us, Lord. Bring us to that place, Lord. Teary-eyed love, uh, passionate love, all bets off love, a little bit of reckless, abandoned love, not caring about anybody else's opinions. Bring us to that point. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen, amen, amen.